So, hey, I want you to get your Bibles out this morning, and I want you to turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 19. So in the New Testament, uh, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So find the book of Luke, and uh, we're going to dive in today in the series we've been in called Jesus Went. Hey, one quick thing before uh, I do that. John was giving you the, the texting keywords and stuff in that last one, team. Uh, it's about an opportunity for you to really step in and um, serve somewhere, make a difference. Um, that you, with who you are, can impact uh, somebody else's life. Now, you may think, well, I don't, I don't have much that I bring to the table. And this is not having a whole bunch of skills. It's, it's a willingness to do that. And uh, I, I wanna tell you that around here on any given weekend, it takes uh, quite a few people to make things happen. Now, I know when we walk in the door, we think, well, it seems like everything's covered. Uh, but the issue is, is that we don't want people to feel like once they serve, they're there every service, every weekend, like till Jesus comes, like you never get a break. And so if we fully uh, kind of man all of our teams, and so that maybe you're only on once a month or every other month or something like that becomes a load that we all share together. Uh, but I was talking to some of our staff and ready for this, we need 160 more people each weekend to, to fully staff our teams. And so if you'd be willing to step in and just say, I'd love to help, whether it's greeting or helping with our kids stuff or our cafe, and there's a ton more besides that, go text that word team to our, uh, that 30500. You get a quick text back, but it's a way that you can make a difference. And we have Easter coming up in uh, a little less than a month, and we'd love to have you on that weekend kind of step in and celebrate with us while you're serving one another. We always say you can attend a service and serve in a service, and there's something so great about that. So don't miss out on, on that opportunity. Well, we're in this series called Jesus Went, and we're traveling with Jesus to these different places and different experiences and different people that he encountered. And to me, the power of this is knowing that Jesus goes with us to the circumstances and situations of our lives as well. Because I have, I have not wanted this series to be just like, like a history thing, like, oh, Jesus went here and Jesus went there. I mean, that's really great. But what does it mean for us right here in 2022? It means that wherever we're at and wherever we go, Jesus is with us. He goes. He, he already went and he continues to do that in all the situations of our lives. And today we're going to see that Jesus went, and this is not about a place, but a people, that he went to the outsider. Have you ever felt like an outsider? I, I think most of us at some point, maybe even regularly in our lives, feel like an outsider. So I don't know if you've ever had to go to a new school, like when you were growing up and your parents moved or whatever it might have been, and you ended up in a new school, and man, initially you feel like an outsider, everyone knows each other and everyone's already got their places that they sit in the cafeteria or breaks or in the classroom and you just, man, you, you realize I, I'm the one that doesn't belong. Or when you start a new job, there's initially that phase when you, you realize, okay, I'm, I'm the new one coming in. I know for me, I've gone to events, I've gone to conferences. Um, last year during COVID, I went to a conference that was both online and they had a small live gathering. So I went to the live gathering and no one else on our staff went and so it was just me. And there were these groups there that had come together representing different ministries and they all knew each other and they were sitting at tables together and laughing and having fun. And you know, you walk in and go, is someone sitting here? You know, that just, yeah, that kind of awkward place. We, we kind of know that. 
Those are all social situations, and in those we feel the distance, and we sometimes feel the awkwardness of it. But sometimes, sometimes it's a different kind of distance. Some of you feel like an outsider in your own family because of situations from the past, behaviors that have gone on, there have been hurts and there have been wounds. And maybe it even feels like you don't have a place to call home. You feel like you don't have a family to even lean on. So you feel like an outsider. I know it's easy to feel like an outsider at church as well. I know that. And so sometimes we walk in and we, we want to put up our guard and not let anyone get too close. And maybe that's because you were hurt by the church at some point. Maybe you were hurt by people who said that they followed after God and believed in him. And maybe they do. But it still left you hurt. And so while, while you may th- still trust in God, you're not sure you want to trust his people. And I get it. And if I can just say this as a pastor and leader, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've been hurt and that you've experienced things like that. I also know that churches have worked really hard to overcome that and help people not feel like outsiders with, with great intentions. And yet some of our intentions end up being a little bit off target. So years ago when I was in seminary, I was uh, working at a, at a church, uh, not in ministry roles or anything, but really in a support role. And uh, they had this idea, again, with these really great intentions, that anyone who was new, if that was their first time, they had this uh, rose sticker. So it was a sticker of a rose that every visitor would put on their shirt. And then they would be able to say, oh, well, you're a visitor. But what it felt like was, oh, I'm the one that doesn't belong. I'm the one that's kind of odd here. And maybe you're sitting here today thinking, well, Dave, you guys don't make us wear a rose sticker on our shirt. Thank you. But how many people do I have to shake hands with to get into this place, you know? <laughs> I know. But, but here's the thing. I, I'd rather have you feel like, oh, there were too many hands than like no one even said hi, no one shook my hand, no one welcomed me. We want that to happen. But maybe here we need to do something different. So if you're new, would you just stand up for, no, I'm not going to do that. Some of you, your blood pressure just spikes like, oh, like what is going on? No, we wouldn't, we wouldn't ask you to do that. But it's hard. It's hard to feel like an outsider, isn't it? And yet one way or another, we, we've all been there. But I think at the deepest levels of our heart and our soul, the most challenging, right? I know social situations are awkward, new jobs, new school. I know, I know all that is hard. But the most challenging is to feel like I'm an outsider with God. Like I'm not good enough or I'm not holy enough or I'm not pure enough to ever be on the inside with God. Because we believe that our, that our past and, and how we've lived keep us way more than an arm's length away and there's nothing really we can do. And we just, we just feel like that. Like God doesn't want anything to do with us maybe. And here's the other part of that. If we think too long about it, it's frightening to think what that ultimately means, that I'm an outsider with God. But today, I've got good news for you because we're gonna go where Jesus went and he went to an outsider. And maybe, just maybe, we'll find grace and hope there and maybe an invitation to come in close. 
to be part of the family, to be welcomed by God, because that's his desire. So we're going to look today at Luke 19, and we're going to see for ourselves this special encounter that Jesus had with an outsider. You see, Jesus loved to have encounters with all different kinds of people, and many of them were outsiders. There was a woman who came from a despised culture, and Jesus went right up to her. There was a man who was struggling with his inner demons, and, and nobody wanted anything to do with him, and Jesus went right to him. There was a man who was banished because of his disease and his leprosy, and Jesus came right up and not only acknowledged him, not only saw him, but actually touched him, which was unheard of. Jesus went right up to a woman who was caught in adultery and was being used as a pawn in kind of a political religious conflict that was going on. And he didn't shy away. He went right up to them. And there's so many more all throughout Jesus' ministry. People, people either by life circumstance or by consequence of action found themselves very much on the outside looking in. And in every case, Jesus went to them because his mission from the very beginning was to go to the outsiders, the ones who needed him the most. Jesus even said that. He goes, I, it's, it's not the well that needs a doctor, it's the sick. It's, 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 those, it's those ones who can't find any relief or help, those who I've come, I've come to save, I've come to give hope. So let me set this up some before we dive in to actually read the passage in Luke 19 and give this story a little more context and a little more flavor. It's a story about a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And so if you've ever heard anything about this from biblical times, we always say, well, these tax collectors were, were so despised. And if you're not familiar with this, it's like, well, like, okay, I get it a little bit, but like, why would, why would they be despised? So years ago, when we lived down in Fresno, we lived by someone who worked for the IRS because the IRS has a big processing center there. And we hated her. No, we didn't. It's, <laughs> It's like, that was just her job. She worked at the IRS. Like, it wasn't, wasn't personal, you know. She wasn't coming by her house going, hmm, did you pay for that? You know, she wasn't doing anything like that. So it was just a job. She worked for the government. It was, it was no big deal. And so if we take our, our modern day look at that, uh, we think, well, well, what is the big deal? But a tax collector in those days was an outsider and was despised by their own community. And more than that, often their own family and even more than that, their own religious faith would despise them. Because during this time, the Roman Empire was in power and they had established like a puppet government in Jerusalem uh, and over this entire region. And the Jewish people were made to pay taxes to the Roman government. And if you know anything about kind of conquering nations and all that, they're not going to try to give you the best deal possible. They're trying to extract the most as possible. So the Romans, rather than trying to manage this whole nightmare, what they did was they would hire Jewish men to be their tax collectors. So think of what this looks like. They would collect taxes from their own people. Now imagine how that would feel to you. You've been conquered your entire way of life is now under the thumb of a foreign government, and they're upping the pressure to gather more and more taxes from you. But the one who's actually collecting those taxes was your neighbor. It was someone you know, one of your own people. Imagine how that person would be treated and how they would be kind of banished from polite society. But here's the crazy thing. That's not even the whole picture. Because on top of that, 
The Romans didn't pay the person to collect taxes. So guess how they made their money? They added more to the Roman taxes on their own people so that they could take that amount as their own salary and as their own pay. And these tax collectors found that since they were already hated, why not really turn the screws and make more for themselves since they'd never be accepted anyway, right? You hate me, so I'm just gonna make it miserable for you. And this vicious cycle kept going as they would raise the tax, get richer, and be hated all the more. And it was brutal. And imagine what this did for their standing in the temple and their standing in their own Jewish religion. They were considered the worst of sinners, despised, and actually the target of God's wrath. To take it up even one last notch, we're gonna read that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was the boss. He would take from the people and he would take a slice of his own tax collector's uh, income that they would bring in. So if anyone was considered an outsider, it was this man named Zacchaeus. So I want you just for a moment, imagine what people would say about him. Imagine the coldness that he felt from his neighbors, from his former friends. Imagine having overwhelming wealth, right? I mean, this guy's raking it in from all of these people in the whole region. He has everything he could possibly want material-wise, but he's lonely and he's distant from everyone that he's grown up with or known. Imagine a large dining room with room for, for friends to gather around and to have a party, and yet no one wants to hang out with you and no one wants to share a meal with you. So I want you to keep that in mind what was probably going on in his own heart, his own life, his own view of the world and view of people. And we're gonna read this here in Luke chapter 19. We're gonna start at verse one. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus and he was the chief tax collector in the region. And he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree beside the road for Jesus was gonna pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to the house of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. So, I wanna just do one little sidelight here. Would you, help, would you let me do that? Um, if you grew up going to church or you grew up going to Sunday school, I'm gonna bust a myth for you. I'm not gonna bust a move for you, but I'm gonna bust a myth for you. Uh, when I grew up going to church, there was this song that we sang in Sunday school. Now this is going back to the 
you know, the classics of Sunday school. And this song was about Zacchaeus, and it talked about him being a wee little man, right? Short, you read that in there. I'm not gonna sing it for you, but I just wanna clarify something. This passage never says that he's short. It says that he's too short to see over a crowd. So we've kind of interpreted that to be a certain way. Now, he could be, but it's not necessarily that way. He just can't see over the crowd. So I'm going to be honest. I think there's only a few of us in this room that can actually see over a crowd. <laughs> right? Amen. I think there's only a few of us here. Tim can see over a crowd, yes. There's a few more of you. I'm 6'5", Mike over there. We can see over a crowd. But everyone else, if you're, if you're just normal height, you can't see over a crowd. So Anyway, that's just a little, you know, Bible trivia for you. He, we don't know that he was like specifically a short guy. He just couldn't see over a crowd. Now, here's the thing. It's, it's highly likely that Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus and all this buzz that was surrounding him, this teaching that was so different. You ever notice that when, when Jesus is teaching? It says the people were amazed, the people were shocked, and they would often say things. You can read this all through the Gospels. People would say, we've never heard teaching like this before. And you think, really? Like nobody had taught this way before? But that was the thing. It wasn't just the content of the teaching, which was so powerful. It was the fact that these people had never actually seen a rabbi, a teacher, actually live out what they teach. When he talked about humility, he lived and walked in humility. And so the people were just blown away that this was someone that they could relate to. And the teaching was so powerful. So, of course, the crowds began to come and the buzz began to happen. The miracles were astonishing. And this rumor that maybe he was the Messiah, which was the one that had been promised for generation after generation who was going to come and rescue his people. So there was all this excitement. Now, it's also possible that Zacchaeus knew that one of his former tax collectors, remember, he, he's the chief tax collectors, which means he has tax collectors under him in certain areas, that there's a good possibility that one of his former tax collectors was a young man named Matthew. And Matthew had left this profitable position as a tax collector to follow after this Jesus. So I can imagine that Zacchaeus was curious to see who this man really was. I want you to think for just a moment. Here's a wealthy businessman with resources at his fingertips. He's obviously not respected, but he's probably feared. Man, he just wants to see Jesus. And there's something, I wonder if he could even define it. There's something that's driving him to at least get a look at this Jesus. So he literally goes out on a limb to see Jesus. And maybe just singing was going to be enough. I mean, a conversation, a connection, I don't think those are going to happen. And who knows what could happen if he got too close to him. But he wants to see him. And I wonder if there's this little bit in him that would Jesus see through all of his nice clothes to the state of his heart? Would Jesus get that look of disgust that everyone else tended to give him? Maybe just a look to see what the deal was, maybe just to look to see if he really could be a miracle worker. Could he really be a grace giver? Could this really be the Savior? Or maybe Jesus was the last chance to move from an outsider to actually being accepted. And in that look, in that move to go out on a limb, everything shifted and everything changed for this man. In the same way, 
when we begin to search out Jesus and we come figuratively face to face, we begin to see who Jesus is and what he's about and what, what he came for and what he has for us today. When we'll really embrace that, when we'll really kind of shed everything else that we've held on to for security and all, and we come face to face with Jesus, guess what? Everything begins to shift and everything begins to change because Jesus has come. So I'm gonna give you a couple things. I want you to write these down. The first is this. Jesus knows right where I am. Jesus knows right where I am. So I, I don't think Zacchaeus was really trying to get noticed. We don't get that. He just wanted to see for himself. But Jesus noticed him and knew exactly where he was at. Look at verse five again. When Jesus came by, he looked up. Imagine how weird this would be. You look up, here's this tree. Here's Zacchaeus. And he calls him by name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Jesus called him by name. Jesus walking through town, followed by this huge crowd. I'm sure it was crazy. I'm sure it was noisy. I'm sure it was loud. I'm sure all kinds of people were yelling out Jesus' name. And through all of the chaos, Jesus knew exactly where Zacchaeus was. And he stopped everything to meet with him right where he was at. And just like Zacchaeus then, Jesus knows exactly where you're at now. He knows what you're going through mentally and emotionally and physically and relationally and financially and especially spiritually. He sees you and he knows you. He knows where you're stuck and he knows where you seem to find freedom. He knows all that you're experiencing right now in your life. And I sometimes feel we just want enough of Jesus to be saved, but not enough to be noticed. Because that might mean I'll have to look at some pretty hard stuff in my life if I really encounter Jesus that way. I'll have to deal with the sin of my past. I'll have to look at my life right now and whether what I say and what I believe lines up with how I'm living and how I'm acting. Whew. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I'm ready to take a deep, deep dive. I don't know if I'm, if I'm ready to, to kind of pull back all the layers and let God do a healing work and a restoring work in my life because that, that may be painful and it may, it may bring up stuff that I don't know that I want to look at anymore, right? And Jesus is not trying to hurt you or wound you, but he's, he's trying to restore you. But we're not sure we want that. So we put on a mask and we kind of build up this false self this image we have that we can show everyone and we do it to protect ourselves. It's really the walls that we're trying to construct. But can I tell you something? Jesus already knows you. He already knows me and he sees us and he doesn't see us with conditions or pity or disgust. He sees us with eyes of grace and eyes of joy. He sees you and he wants you to truly know him. One of my favorite quotes is from C.S. Lewis, and he wrote this, God doesn't want something from us. He just wants us. I want you to hear that again. God doesn't want some, I'm gonna personalize it. God doesn't want something from you. He just wants you. And I'll tell you, there's something so freeing and life-giving in that, that I don't have to perform and I don't have to 
build up the image. I don't have to list my accomplishments to try to prove something to, to Jesus. He already knows me and he already knows you. And he's not turning away. He's not walking the other way saying, I don't wanna get involved in that. He knows you and he's leaning in close because he knows right where you're at. Look back at Luke 19 and see Zacchaeus' response, verses six and seven. It says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of this notorious sinner. And they grumbled. You know, there's nothing really new under the sun, right? We face the same things over and over and over again. And I look at the story and you know what I think? Haters are always gonna hate, right? <laughs> You know, so, so if, if you get a promotion at work, everyone, oh, that's so good. And someone, you know, is going, I don't know, they deserve that, right? So, so there's always going to be some kind of response. And here's what's funny to me. The people who were crowding around to celebrate the arrival of the Savior, right? Crowds, Jesus, they're, they're here to see the Savior, are mad because the Savior saved someone. Isn't that weird? We get to see the Savior. I can't believe you saved that guy, right? It's that weird kind of response because here's the deal. We often like grace if it makes sense to us and we are so relieved when grace is applied to us. We just get a little frustrated when God extends grace to that person because they need to pay a little bit more. I need to see a little bit more remorse. I need to see a little bit more change in them. And so we become the arbiters of grace and we become the, the arbiters of what's right. And yet Jesus sees us where we are and he invites us to take one more step towards him. Not to be perfect, not to suddenly have it all together at the snap of a finger, but to just take one more step, to just lean in a little bit closer to him. One of the ways around here that, that we see this so lived out moment by moment, step by step, is Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery happens here every Monday night in our North Building. And uh, they start at, what time, Michelle? 6.30? 5.30 for dinner. 30, 5.30 for dinner. 5.30 for dinner and 6.30 is when the big meeting starts and the small meetings after that. But you know, it's all, all about hurts, habits, and hangups. But one of the things that is so cool uh, about Celebrate Recovery, there's a lot cool, but once a month, once a month they have chip night and they hand out chips. Here's one of them right here. This is, this is the Journey Begins chip. And if you came to a chip night, you might have people come up and say, I am one day sober. I am one day clean. I am one day free. Because it's not all about drugs and alcohol, right? It can be all kinds of things, hurts, habits, and hangups, things that ensnare us, things that keep us bound. Someone says, I'm one day. You have someone, I'm one week, I'm one month, I'm one year, I'm five years. And it is so cool because you know how all that happens? Moment by moment, step by step, right? I mean, I mean, you literally see it played out in, in this ministry. And it is one of the things that's so Beautiful. And when I've been at CR and, I, and I've heard some of those stories, and I've been at some of those chip nights before, I don't begrudge the grace that they've received. I look at someone and go, can't believe they're a month clean. <laughs> right? That's not my heart. My heart is, yes, 
one month, one day, one hour is celebrated. But somehow when it touches other areas of our life, we struggle with it. But I tell you, if you were to come to CR, and I would really encourage you, because guess, guess who has hurts, habits, and hangups? All of us, right? But when you go there and you see this, it's so beautiful. And then this crazy thing happens. When I celebrate someone after they share their story, it's like I'm going back to maybe a hurt, habit, or hang-up in my life and how God extended grace to me. And we remember those steps inch by inch towards Jesus and we get to taste the grace all over again. See, Jesus sees you and he knows you and he's for you. Write this down for the second one. Jesus steps into my personal space. Steps into my personal space. We're not even sure we like that, that wording, right? Have you, have, you ever, have you ever been by a close talker? Someone is just a little too close, so we don't know what to do. And we say, hey, whoa, 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 kind of respect the personal space here. I need a little bit. And during COVID, we had even more. We wanted six feet. You know, we wanted a bubble around us in that. But we all kind of know what that personal space is. And Jesus does something so odd here in, in, this, in this account that it just kind of changes everything. So Jesus sees me, but that's not all. He knows what I'm capable of, and he also knows where I fall short. And nothing about me we just talked about this, is a surprise or turns him away. But then he takes the next step and he moves in closer to me, up close and personal. He comes into my house, but he does it with kindness and grace. Look at verse five and six again. When Jesus came by, he looked up, called him by name, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. How many of you know that's not how it works? You wait for the invitation and then you respond and Jesus is going, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. So here's my, here's my question just as I, as I walk through this story. I wonder what Zacchaeus felt when Jesus finally stepped into the actual house. Coming down out of the tree, whoa, Jesus is coming to my house. And then he walked in and went, Jesus is walking into my house. I wonder if when he opened the door and he looked around and he saw all of the wealth that he had accumulated, that that initial excitement might have given way to dread, right? What's Jesus going to think? Most of us, if Jesus wanted to come to our house, like right now, I know this couldn't happen. Let's say you walked out and you got in your car and Jesus is like sitting in your car. And he says, let's go to your house. And you go, great. Can you give me a few minutes when we get there? There's just a few things. I want to just check the bathroom. I want to check the sink. I want to, you know, just, I want to, I want to get a few things cleaned up because in your mind, you wouldn't say this, but you're thinking, oh man, I, I knew I should have done that before I left for church today, right? We have this part in us that, that, that wants to, again, put up a good image. And we're kind of embarrassed because of what someone else could see. But Jesus comes into your home and my home into our space, right where we're ashamed, right where 
We've been caught in sin, right into all the disarray of our souls. And he does it not to bring condemnation, but to bring healing and to bring wholeness. See, we want to clean ourselves up so we can present ourselves looking pretty good to God. And Jesus says, you actually can't do that. Let me do that in you. I think one of the things that keeps us from having a relationship with Christ is us. Because we reject the forgiveness and the grace and we push him away and we, again, we build that wall. So we need to get out of the way and stop thinking too much and let Jesus have his way with us. I'm not telling you to turn off your brain. It's not that kind of a thing. We're just trying to process it all and be it all and work hard and try harder. And he's just saying, let me just come to your house, the house of your life, because he will show up and he will invite us into something more. I know I've taken a little bit of liberty with this story today, but I'm going to take a little bit more and I'm going to paint the picture that I see in my mind. Because this, this is a real event that happened. They've come to Zacchaeus' house and they've been talking and I can see Jesus with a smile on his face. Now, it doesn't say that in scripture, I know that. But in my mind, when I see it, I see Jesus walking in and he's got this smile, knowing that everyone is outside grumbling and envious and they're gossiping. I can't believe he went there. And this man in front of him who has so much wealth but is so poor in spirit, but he wants something more. He longs not to be an outsider but to be welcomed into a family with joy and approval. And I can see them sitting in the living room and Zacchaeus looks around at all he has, all this stuff that he's accumulated. And he looks back at Jesus and he doesn't see disapproval but he sees actually how much Jesus loves him. And in that moment, I think, the reality of how he has lived and how he has cheated and how he has played king in his own little world comes rushing in. And so he confesses and it leads him to repentance. Look at verse eight. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated to people, I will give them back four times as much. Did Jesus ask him to do that? No. I think for Zacchaeus, he saw all of that was going on around him, and he saw how empty it was, and he, it just kind of came out. And I think this is where Zacchaeus actually comes to terms with who Jesus is and how he could begin living for him despite the way he has lived before. And he turned around completely from his old ways right there on the spot. And it was in that moment that his hope to see Jesus turned into a hope in Jesus. Listen to Jesus' declaration. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of, San, son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus knew that Zacchaeus had repented, which means he was going this way and he turned around 180 degrees to go towards God, right? That's what repent means. And he saw this in his actions. He was moving away from his self-ruled life to saying, I wanna follow after you. And since Zacchaeus was so hated by his community, they probably often said that he wasn't a real Jew. And Jesus wanted everyone to know that everything had changed for this man. He wasn't an outsider, but he was part of the family. And not just a distant second cousin twice removed, but he had become a true son. Can't get any closer than that. 
Write this down for the last one. Jesus inviting me into something deeper. Jesus is inviting me into something deeper. So Jesus sees us and he knows us. He comes up close and personal and he invites us into something more, something deeper. This Zacchaeus account doesn't stop with just being seen and it doesn't end with a visit to his home. It goes all the way to confession, repentance, and ultimately to a changed life, changed priorities, changed actions in Jesus. And in the same way, God's been inviting you into something more with him. And the enemy has been telling you that you're not enough. That your past and your sin has disqualified you. That you are an outsider. And that you will never be welcomed in. You will never be part of God's family. Because look at what you've done. Look at how you've acted. Look at where you've gone. Like, like you really think you can come in, right? Isn't that what the voice tells us? But what the enemy doesn't want you to know is that Jesus is constantly inviting us to take the next step. Come on, come on. You know that passage in Revelation that says, I stand at the door and knock. He's like right there, he's saying, saying, come on, let me in. Let's take this step together. And that's what Jesus showed us when he went to the outsider, when he went to the leper, when he went to the widow, when he went to the blind man, when he went to the tax collector, when he goes to you. Listen to what Paul wrote. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us, that's you and me, into his family through Jesus Christ, what pleasure he took in planning this. And he wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Long before the earth's foundations were laid, God had you in mind and he has wanted to have you join him in his family. Lavish good gifts on you. Life, peace, freedom. Jesus said this in John 15, you didn't choose me, remember? I chose you. And I put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. And as fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. But remember the root command, love one another. He chose you. He chose me. And we may feel at times like we're outsiders, like we can't be good enough and all of those things. But he invites us into something more. Jesus went to the desert to be tempted so that we would know what it's like to face struggles. We went to him with a wedding last week to celebrate with people so we could see how he transforms from old to new. And Jesus went to the outsider that deserved nothing so that we could know his invitation to come in close and to be accepted. You and I don't deserve it. Bottom line. But he did it anyway. And he says, come on. Come home, come in close. I have life for you. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Father, thank you for inviting the outsider to come in close. 
Thank you inviting, for inviting the outsider to be your sons and daughters. And Lord, the relationship couldn't be any closer than that. You, the good father, says, welcome home. So Lord, I pray today for each person who's gathered in this room or anyone who's watching online. And Lord, I pray that there would be this sense of of your invitation, the sense of come close, come close, come home. And Lord, that we would respond to that in faith, that we would confess where we have failed, we would confess our sin, and we would turn around and we would pursue you. And in that, you have so much more for us than we could ever imagine. We thank you, we love you, we honor you today in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand with me today? Hey, as we close, just a couple things. Uh, One, if you are new here at New Life, um, I did have you stand right now, but I wouldn't call you out. Uh, But if you're new here to New Life, we would just love a chance to say hi. We have uh, a little gift for you. And right in the middle of the lobby, you'll see a thing there called Starting Point. It's got a sign that's kind of vertical. Just go by there and say, hey, I'm new here. And there's some great folks that are back there. Uh, They're not going to sign you up for anything. You know, it's not crazy like that, but just... Just, hey, welcome, and to give you something to say hi to you. So make sure you do that. I um, want to remind you again that, uh, man, we, we would so love for you to come join one of our t- teams that's serving around here. And the more we share that load, the, the easier it is for everyone. You know that at home, right, when everyone pitches in. And so we need you to take that step, especially as COVID has kind of been going away and we're entering into a new season. Uh, We'd love for you to do that. Do it on your phone or at our orange umbrella, we have some iPads set up and we have some folks that can help you walk through that, find a place for you to serve. We'd love to have you you do that. Well, as we go out into the world, as we go out into life and shopping and business and school and all the things we do, know this, that Christ is inviting you to come close, to walk with him and to experience all that he has for you. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. Have a great week. You're dismissed.